The X-Zone radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the X-Zone radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All-Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon on the Talkstar Radio Network. And uh, Philadelphia Freedom is an ideal song to bring in our next guest. Uh, Tom Carey is our guest this hour. He, along with Donald Schmidt, uh, have written a couple of books. Uh, let me see. There, He's the co-author of Witness to Roswell, Unmasking the 60-Year Cover-Up. And uh, he's also uh, with uh, Witness to Roswell, Unmasking the Government's Biggest Cover-Up. Now, uh, Tom is a native Philadelphian, holds degrees from Temple University and uh, California State University in Sacramento, and also attended the University of Toronto in its Ph.D. program in anthropology, Exxon Nation. By the way, he loves hockey. We were talking a little bit before uh, hockey, uh, about hockey before we went on air, and uh, I don't know. If anybody knows a magic solution to help them with Toronto Maple Leafs, I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. An Air Force veteran who held a top-secret crypto clearance, Tom is now retired in Philadelphia. He's been a mutual uh, UFO network MUFON state section director for southeastern Pennsylvania from 1986 to 2002, a special investigator for the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies from 1991 to 2001, and a member of QFO's board of directors from 1997 to 2001. Tom began investigating aspects of the Roswell incident in 1991 uh, for the Roswell investigative team of Kevin Randall and Don Schmidt. And since 1998, he has turned exclusive, teamed up with Don Schmidt exclusively to continue a proactive investigation of the case. Tom has authored or co-authored more than 30 published articles about Roswell and the events of 1947 and has contributed to a number of books on the subject as well. Now, he's appeared on every major radio TV show that has anything to do with uh, Roswell, New Mexico, the uh, the UFO crash, including, uh, let me see, Sci-Fi Channel, Discovery, History Channel, and the list goes on and on and on. We're talking ultimate credibility here, Exxon Nation. And joining me now from Philadelphia is... 
Thomas Carey. Are you in Philadelphia, Tom, or are you somewhere else these days? Actually, uh, Rob, I live, my home is in Huntington Valley, Pennsylvania. Oh. And uh, recently my home was uh, damaged by water. And uh, we're, my wife and I are temporarily uh, uh, being housed in Bucks County, a, a place called the Chamonix. It's uh, uh, just outside of uh, Philadelphia still. Well, but I am a native Philadelphian. Well, yeah. we're happy you're with us, Tom. It's always great talking to somebody who enjoys hockey as much as you do. But we'll <laughs> leave that for another show. Uh, Tom, where did your interest in the Roswell incident come from? Well, uh, Rob, it's... Uh, it's one. Of, it's an evolution of of things. I was as a kid uh, and teenager. I was always interested in UFOs, and mm-hmm. uh, you know there was a number of books written, uh, classics I call them. Uh, a lot of them by Donald Kehoe. Oh yeah. Uh, and then there was this one book written by the uh, former head of the uh, Project Blue Book, uh, Captain Edward J. Ruppelt, which was a terrific book. But what happened was, actually, uh, it's when I was living in Toronto. I was a student at the university there in the mid-70s, late-70s. I heard about this book that was coming uh, coming out about this Roswell incident. I had no idea what the Roswell incident was. And uh, in 1980, I read it. The book came out uh, in 1980, and when I read that Roswell incident book, I was just blown away. All right, you and I are going to do a bit of a cliffhanger here and let our listeners who are probably sitting on their seats saying, okay, what what blew Tom Carey away about the Roswell case, and why is he well, interested in so much? We've got to take a commercial break. We're going to be back in two minutes. Exonation, Tom Carey's my special guest of this hour. We're talking about Roswell, New Mexico, amongst other things www.roswellinvestigator.com, and he is the co-author of Witness to Roswell, Unmasking the 60-Year Cover-Up, as well as Witness to Roswell, Unmasking the Government's Biggest Cover-Up, which were written with Donald Don Schmidt. We'll be back with Tom Carey on the other side of this commercial break in two minutes. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. Tom Carey's my special guest. His website is www.roswellinvestigator.com. Along with Donald Schmidt, he wrote a couple of books, and I'm sure that everyone knows them, but here you go again. Witness to Roswell, Unmasking the 60-Year Cover-Up. And that was back in 2007. And in 2009, Witness to Roswell, Unmasking the Government's Biggest Cover-Up. Once again, www.roswellinvestigator.com. So there you were reading a book about Roswell. And what what grabbed your interest when reading that book? Well, Rob, uh, as you know, a lot of, uh, I think most of UFO reports are lights in the sky. Mm -hmm. You you see a light, light, uh, you might even see something that looked like a disc. But it's still something that's here and goes away, and you, you really don't have anything in your hand to grab a hold of. True. 
thing about the Roswell case that interests me was that here we had an apparent crash that left artifacts, uh, physical wreckage, uh, little alien bodies. You had a, uh, a cover-up of the uh, of the event. You had uh, witnesses being intimidated mm-hmm. and uh, afraid to speak. And uh, everything that a good mystery had, has uh, was present in this case. The only thing is that this was a potentially true event. It wasn't a fiction. So uh, someone like myself who, uh, with a background in anthropology and archaeology, uh, you're dealing with artifacts a lot right. of times. Especially in archaeology, you're dealing with artifacts. And here, here we had a UFO case that left, that potentially left artifacts that are in storage somewhere being covered up, and uh, uh, it just, uh, for whatever reason, that interested me more than anything else about the UFO phenomenon. Uh, you know, people reporting, even the abduction mm-hmm. uh, uh, cases where people report being you know, taken aboard a ship and experiments, but still there you're, you're dealing with just, uh, you know, again, no artifacts, just, just an account of... But, uh, but, in, all, but in all fairness, as, as an anthropologist, when you look at artifacts, you usually have them in front of you. They're not suppressed. They're not hidden. They're not covered up. So, so how can you take everything that happened at Roswell with these artifacts that no one has ever seen or examined? Well, it's not. Well, certainly, uh, we have one record. Uh, we we've contacted several thousand people mm-hmm. over the over the twenty years that I've been investigating this case uh, about the case, and over six hundred have gone on record. Now, that doesn't mean that every one of the six hundred plus have held artifacts in their hands or had uh, seen the bodies. Right. But among those 600, there are plenty who did exactly that. They, they talk about uh, holding the artifacts, examining them, seeing the bodies, seeing the craft. Uh, uh, and there's you know, three, three sites associated with this particular event that uh, we've been to all three. And uh, we're dealing with, with actual physical events as explained to us by people who actually touched and had seen the, uh, let's call them artifacts, okay. whether they were biological or uh, physical. But, but the people who actually touched these artifacts, did they have the expertise to make uh, uh, an adequate identification on what they were actually seeing, what they were actually touching? No. I mean, at the time, we're talking about, now, uh, talking about 1947 mm-hmm. now, uh, the UFO phenomenon had just started uh, two weeks prior to the Roswell event. So they, they had no idea what it was they were looking at. Uh, and in fact, the Gallup polls that were taken uh, early on in the UFO history, mm-hmm. say back in 47, 48, 49, uh, in, in that area, uh, the, the uh, most popular uh, conclusion that people were drawing about the UFOs is that they represented a something developed either by the Soviet Union, by the United States, or by Germany. That was the number one uh, belief. 
among the citizenry. No, it's funny so you mentioned way, way down on the list right. was that they were could be from another planet. But what they were describing were things that we had no, uh, uh, no we did not have the technology for for what they were. Uh, describing. You know, it's funny you mention uh, the Soviet Union because Annie Jacobson has just come out with a book in which she says that according to a source that she has spoken to, the crash at Roswell was actually a Soviet craft and that the the occupants were actually Soviet cosmonauts, for a lack of better words. Well, uh, number one, you're dealing with a single source here. Mm-hmm. We have spoken to hundreds of sources which have all led us in a certain direction. And if you have a single source that, that, that is telling you something that is so divergent from what, from what you have been uh, uh, dealing with for 20 years and mm-hmm. having been described to us, you have to discount that source as being anomalous. It, it doesn't fit what we have learned over the last 20 years as given to us by hundreds and hundreds of witnesses. Now, uh, we don't go, you know, every source we have we try to get corroboration for. Many of them we, we do have corroboration, and others, uh, even though they might be a single source, it fits the pattern of what we have been developing. But in this case, her story is so divergent, at least the story told to her by her source, mm-hmm. it, just, it just, we have to reject it. Uh, and from what I have read about it, it's just, uh, uh, you know, I don't, you know, I, I'm trying to find the right word here without being disparaging, but it's it's just so divergent from, from what we know about the case. Oh, that, okay, uh, but let, let's look at it from somebody brand new who really had no concept of, of Roswell before Annie Jacobson received international attention as she has, bringing the possibility that it had nothing to do with outer space. It was a Russian craft. Those people who are not as in tuned to Roswell as you are and many other Roswell investigators are say it's highly plausible, including members of the military. So where does a person who has no idea what happened at Roswell before, where do they, where do they go for the truth? Because here you've got hundreds of people who are saying that they saw something, that they touched something that there's no evidence of. And you've got somebody who's saying, well, wait a minute, I spoke to a source who's saying that this was actually a Russian craft with Russian cosmonauts. And we know that the Russians beat America to the moon with an unmanned craft. We also know that there's the Van Allen radiation belt that circles the Earth. And and a couple of doctors who deal with radiation poisoning say that this could account for the strange anomaly, the way that these astronauts looked. So so do we go with logic or do we go with or do we go with hype? You have to go with, uh, we always use Occam's razor, mm-hmm. and you, you know what Occam's razor is. It's, it's the uh, scientific rule. It's an unofficial scientific rule that when you have competing theories to explain the data, you have to use the simplest theory among several that explains most of the data. But and in this, in this case, the uh, extraterrestrial explanation is the simplest that explains most of the data as we have come to know it. Ah, I think you just said something there that's very significant. The data as we have come to know it. Now, let's say, hypothetically, this was a Russian craft. 
Would the U.S. government not pursue the exact same uh, way of of uh, of hiding it, doing a cover-up, in order to suppress and to keep mass hysteria away that the that the Russians could actually invade U.S. airspace? Because we're talking about a very sensitive time in the U.S. history. Uh. What they would have done is something very similar. Uh, they, they, uh, they would have uh, kept it quiet, try mm-hmm. to uh, uh, certainly uh, examine the craft, re-engineer it. Uh, I mean, that, that's what they would have done. Uh, the thing is, uh, they would not have threatened uh, the people to the extent that they did in this particular case. But how do we know that? Well, we've... we've gotten a uh, Russian craft. I don't know if any have actually crashed, but uh, uh, we have gotten uh, Russian craft over the years, and they've been, uh, I think uh, most of those were taken to Wright-Patterson, perhaps mm-hmm. Area 51, I'm not sure, yeah. but uh, uh, the, the Russians did not have the technology uh, to produce in 1947 what was reported to have crashed. Okay, but is it possible that when that when uh, those people who were brought into the United States during World War II to work on the the rocket systems and uh, ultimately the space program that they brought with them the knowledge that, um, for example, there there is there's there's uh, there's evidence that the Germans were working on craft that were circular. The Americans were working on craft that were circular as well. That this techn- I don't believe I don't believe they were in 1947. What what we had in 1947 uh, via the Germans was mm-hmm. the uh, Horton Brothers uh, flying wing. It was it was made out of wood uh, that they attached a uh, jet engine to. There were only two of them, and they were they were made out of wood. They were subsonic, and that's that was the most advanced technology at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you don't go from that to a, to something that was described by Jesse Marcel, the base intelligence officer at Roswell in 1947. Uh, something that uh, that you could wad up uh, metal that you could wad up in the palm of your hand and uh, let go of it, and before it hit the, hit a flat surface, it flattened out completely without a crease, and you couldn't cut it, you couldn't scratch it, you couldn't burn it, you couldn't deform it in any way that, would, uh, that it would uh, remain deformed. Those sorts of things, mm-hmm. the descriptions that were handed down by intelligence people, by scientists, by uh, doctors uh, examining the uh, cadavers, by citizens who saw the, the uh, creatures, the little people, and the wreckage that no one could figure out. All right, uh, stand by, Tom. You and I have got to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exxon Nation, Tom carries our special guest. His website, www.roswellinvestigator.com. And we'll be back on the other side of this news break as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network. x 
Zone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. And welcome back, everyone. Uh, Tom Carey's our special guest this hour, along with Donald Schmidt. He has written, uh, let me see, Witness to Roswell, Unmasking the 60-Year Cover-Up. That was in 2007. And in 2009, Witness to Roswell, Unmasking the Government's Biggest Cover-Up. His website is www.roswellinvestigator.com. You know, before we went to the break, uh, we were talk- you were talking about Jesse Marcel. And, and there, there's something that I've always... That has always boggled my mind about Jesse Marcel, and that that is here he is the intelligence officer for the for the army. He goes to an area where there's where there's an alleged crash. He picks up evidence, and instead of going back to the base and maintaining the chain of evidence, he goes home and shows his wife. And his, and his son. Why did he do that? Well, number one, the uh, his home was on the way back to the base, so mm-hmm. he wasn't going out of his way. Right. So, but it was something so extraordinary that he wanted his uh, his wife and child to see it. But what, but what does that tell you about his professional ethics and his professionalism as an intelligence officer? Well, it, when he wait a sec, wait a sec, wait a sec. It was it was too. In, o'clock in the morning but still but still but still but still but still felt that he wasn't doing anything uh, illegal well listen that doesn't bother me at all well it it does with me because if he is supposed to be a professional and there's a direct chain of evidence that was broken at the very beginning of the roswell case and we've got all this other hearsay for example uh the, the metal are there other other witnesses? I mean, what, what's broken here, Rob? I'm, not, I'm missing. What's it's very simple. Here. It's very simple. What kind of professional, whether it's in law enforcement, whether it's in the intelligence community, would actually stop by home and bring evidence and say, "Hey, look what I've got." No professional that I'm aware of. I was in law enforcement, and that's one thing you don't do: well, mix business and pleasure. You're 19, a professional. 1947, and he's got something in his hands that he's never seen before. Well, I hope so. He's an intelligence officer. Doesn't that mean that this should have been classified, brought in until... Of course, he's passed away, and I can't ask him why he did that, but I'm just supposing, speculating that that's, that's why he did it. It was so unusual, especially this, what we call memory metal, that you can just uh, wad up in your hand. And he also had some 
uh, pieces of metal with strange writing on them. And uh, I don't know, maybe he had to go to the bathroom first. Okay. I, I don't know. But the, his house was on the way back back to the base. And uh, so he stops there mm -hmm. uh, for a few minutes and shows his family, wakes them up. Hey, look what I got. And uh, and then he's off again to the base. So uh, for whatever reason, he stopped at mm -hmm. home and showed his family some of the stuff. Uh, oh, okay, let's get let's get to the strange writing for a second because I, I think this is a, a, a I think that this plays into what Annie Jacobson is is talking about with a Russian craft because Soviet writing at time can look it looks very different from English. Yes, it's the Cyrillic. Uh, it's the Cyril, Cyrillic alphabet, mm -hmm. and uh, certainly I can't read Russian. Yeah. But uh, just to let you know that the, uh, according to some of the survivors' uh, spouses, mm -hmm. uh, most notably William Blanchard, the uh, base commander at the time, uh, ultimately wound up a four-star general second-in-command of uh, the entire Air Force wow. and uh, died at his desk in 1966. But uh, he at first, and also some of the other uh, people that went on to be generals, uh, uh -huh. their thought it was at first that it was a Russian device because of the writing. Okay. Then they realized, and, they all, and, the, and the spouses all said this, then they realized that it wasn't Russian. And that's how they described it. At first, they thought it, it was Russian because of the writing, mm -hmm. and then after they got a look at it, and especially the bodies, they realized that, that it wasn't Russian. And uh, these are the highest-ranking officers that were there at the uh, at the scene. Uh, th that's what their uh, beliefs were. Okay, but uh, let, Blanchard, let, well, Blanchard let me... wasn't there for us to interview. He mm -hmm. died to or died young, age fifty, and. Uh, uh, but we got this from uh, his wife and uh, uh, several other officers' wives who said the same thing. All, all right, but let me, let me ask you this. Is it possible, this is hypothetical here, because I don't know if Roswell had anything to do with UFOs or if it had anything to do with Russian spacecraft. I don't know. I haven't seen any proof or evidence to, to form a conclusion either way. However, by, by proof you're talking about uh, artifacts, uh, something physical, that be scientific, phys scientifically tested. Physical evidence, like how in the name of heaven can the president of the United States have a presidential affair in the most secure building in the world without everybody finding out? And yet, for some unknown reason, the the Roswell incident has not come up with any physical evidence of this alleged craft or any of the bodies, unless, unless, in my opinion, that the information is being suppressed because the United States of America would be wearing egg on its face if it knew for a fact that the Russians had invaded their airspace with technology greater than that of the U.S. But this is 1947. The... Russians uh -huh. did not have the technology to invade our airspace. How do we know that? Well, in World War II, they were they were flying planes that were made out of wood mm -hmm. and string, and uh, th their jet program was just getting started with captured German technology. They di they didn't have the technology to do it. Our our technology in forty seven 
was that we were uh, our first uh, line fighters were uh, primitive jet uh, by today's standards primitive jet aircraft and so the t- the technology did not exist either in the United States or the Soviet Union the, the most likely candidates for uh, something like this, the technology that was described by uh, many, many, many witnesses uh, that they handled. Okay, Tom, let, let, let me ask you this. And, you know, I. Oh, I, one other thing is uh, testimony in a court of law is considered evidence. Yeah, well, it's not so it scientific was... evidence that you're talking about, but testimony in a court of law is considered evidence and a proof. Mm-hmm. that has sent people to the electric chair. So okay. you can't just discard the but testimony. You know, this seems like a fairy tale because there's a lot of people who are who are basing the stories on hearsay evidence. Uh, hearsay evidence? Yeah, hearsay. This is we what it's all... Fir- we have first-hand witness testimony, many, many first-hand testimonies who were there. Okay, how many when people... Hearsay, when hearsay testimony corroborates uh, first-hand eyewitness testimony, it is worth something. All right, then tell me this. With all the people that you have interviewed, that Don Schmidt has interviewed, and other investigators who, who are working very diligently to try and uncover the mystery behind the Roswell event, all these people, nobody's come up with a smoking gun. Well, okay, again, you mean a piece of uh, wreckage. Wreckage, like uh, photographs of cadavers that, that could not be photoshopped or that could not be special affected. Uh, it's something that, that would prove beyond a shadow of a doubt to the millions and millions and millions of people out there who are looking. That's why the, the number one item on our investigative list mm-hmm. is what we call the Holy Grail of Roswell. Which is? The uh, obtaining a piece of the memory metal. You won't have to send it away mm-hmm. to uh, a lab and to have and then forget about it. You could see visually if you get a piece of this memory metal, and we believe there's uh, we believe they exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can you can you can tell just by looking at it by uh, uh, deforming it and have it uh, pop back into its original shape. You can't cut it or you know get a blowtorch on it. It won't do anything to it. We don't have anything like that today. Okay, now let me ask you this. A lot of people believe that whatever crashed in Roswell has been subjected to reverse engineering. Uh, I, you know, I, I never believed that, but I, I believe there's something to that. Somebody's at my door. I'm sure. sorry. No, no problem, Tom. No problem. This. I'm, okay, I'm going, sure. I'm going into it. He's here to fix the air conditioner. <laughs> uh, you said that, yes, I at first, I sort of uh, poo-pooed the reverse engineering business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, since oh, the last few years, uh, there's a fellow in Florida. He took a different approach to Roswell. His name is Anthony Bregalia. Uh He started trying to locate the wreckage. Mm-hmm. And uh, lo and behold, he came across uh, these reports that talked about the Air Force had uh, and uh, had enlisted the Battelle Memorial Institute to do some reverse engineering of the memory metal. 
And they made an attempt, and it took them, you know, a number of years to come up with this. And they came up with something which is really our our best attempt at uh, reverse engineering the so-called memory metal, and it's something called nitinol, N-I-T-I-N-O-L. You can look it up on the Internet, and uh, they sell it uh, for mm-hmm. various things. So I, and he has the reports that he, he finally got them. It took him a couple of years to get the uh, these classified reports that uh, through the Freedom of, Freedom of Information Act, they've been, uh, I guess, downgraded, but he did get them, and everything fell into place. This... Uh, particular project uh, began a few months after the uh, Roswell event, and that's when the Air Force at Wright-Patterson, Patel Memorial Institute's in Columbus, Ohio, Wright-Patterson's in Dayton, uh, they uh, began this project of, uh, and I've, uh, I've spoken to people who were on that project, and I said, well, did they tell you where it was from? They said, no, they said, uh, uh, here's some stuff, uh, find out what it is and, and what you can do to, to, to make something like that. And I said, okay, describe to me what it was that they, uh, they had you work on. And uh, they described to me the classic uh, uh, components of memory metal. So, All right, let, let's, let's say for the sake of discussion that a UFO did crash in Roswell. Why would the government suppress the information? Well, again, we have to go back to 1947. World War II is just mm-hmm. over. However, the Soviet Union uh, it, uh, in 1947 is our chief adversary. So uh, at first there was a... Uh, we thought that maybe the, you know the whole putting it in the newspaper was a faux pas by the local base commander, but... Uh, it turned out to be orchestrated from Washington, but the idea of covering it up was a decision that I believe was made by uh, Lieutenant General uh, Hoyt S. Vandenberg, uh, soon to become the Air Force Chief of Staff at that time. He was sort of an anti, well, they didn't call them UFOs back then, they called them flying saucers, but he was an anti this whole subject, and uh, uh, he is the one who, at least in my opinion, orchestrated the cover-up. Now, the cover-up, you know, something like that coming into uh, a country's possession, uh, you would want to, first of all, that you didn't understand it, so you don't want to let people know you don't know what it is. The other thing is the mission of the Air Force is to control the skies. So the Air Force doesn't want to let anybody know that, that, that they were not in control of their, their own airspace over the United States. So there's two reasons right there, and the other is that uh, until they figured it out, uh, let's uh, you know the, the, the military mind is well, let's cover it up. And uh, since then, the question we always get is, well, how come it's still covered up, 64 years removed, mm-hmm. well, uh, and people's attitudes toward possible life, other life in the universe has certainly changed to uh, to the uh, positive that certainly there's other life in the universe. Why would they still be covering it up? Uh, today, I believe it's mostly a political decision. That uh, uh, once, uh, once, lots of times you get a cover-up going, it gets a life of its own. It's it's always been covered up, so let's let's not rock the boat. Let's keep it covered up. Uh, also, uh, UFOs uh, subject uh, to uh, 
professional people, uh, politicians uh, most notably, is, is, is the subject is poison. The subject is still poison to professional people. So it uh, nobody nobody's really clamoring to to open up the case except people like uh, me, and uh, I'm I'm doing it uh, in the in the manner of well the mm-hmm. you know trying to trying to uh, understand the case one witness at a time and uh, so it, it uh, by its own sheer weight it uh, it will uh, be revealed so all right Tom stand by we've got to take our final break Exonation Tom carries our special guest www.roswellinvestigator.com my name is Rob McConnell this is the Exxon and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton Ontario Canada don't go away Tom Carey's our special guest, Exxon Nation. His website is www.roswellinvestigator.com. Tom, what about the uh, the belief by by some people that the Roswell incident was mogul balloons and it was just something with Project Mogul? Well, uh, Project Mogul was a series of uh, neoprene rubber balloons and uh, tinfoil radar targets, just like the, the, the weather balloon mm-hmm. and t- radar target and the famous uh, Ramey, Ramey photograph uh, of the press conference on July 8, 1947, where he said that Marcel, Jesse Marcel, and the people at Roswell, the Roswell base, were mistaken, that they, they mistook a rubber weather balloon and, and radar target for an interplanetary inter, uh, spaceship. Hmm. basically threw them under the bus. Well, the, the Mogul Balloon, the Mogul Project, was a project that actually started it not far from where I am in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. It moved to uh, White Sands, uh, Alamogordo, New Mexico, uh, in late 46, and they sent up these balloon arrays, a uh, series of balloons, radar targets, lifting acoustic sensors, uh, up into the stratosphere to, to listen in on what they thought might be an impending Soviet nuclear detonation. Uh, the idea was to keep the balloon up up aloft mm-hmm. without... Uh, usually a balloon will go up, it will expand and burst and come down. But the, the idea was to keep them up there in this, uh, this zone in the stratosphere to listen in on uh, the Soviet Union. Um uh, the Air Force came up with this idea in 1994 
uh, after some, actually some UFO investigators, Robert Todd and Carl Flock had uh, stumbled on this in uh, in Freedom of Information Act's uh, 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 requests that they that they had this program, and uh, so in 1994 the Air Force latched onto it and said, "Aha, back in 90, back in 47, we lied to you. That was a lie that we said it was a weather balloon." What it really was was a series of weather balloons, hmm. still rubber, still tinfoil, uh, bailing twine, and uh, balsa wood sticks. And so that, that's what crashed at Roswell. Well, uh, it, sounds, it sounds plausible until you actually uh, start examining it, and it uh, falls apart like a cheap suit. Uh, they had to, uh, first they said it was launch number nine, which actually occurred... Uh, uh, I believe it was July the 4th, uh, 1947, but that couldn't have been it because July 4, the, the launch never took place. So the, the previous launch from July 4 was June 4th, the month before that. He said, well, okay, it was the June 4th launch. And, uh, well, how do you know it landed in Mac Brazel's pasture? Well, we have a scientist here who was on the project, and he thinks it was headed that way. He doesn't. He didn't see it uh, go that way, but he thinks it was headed that so, way. So we're running out of time really fast here. Uh, we got you about have 30... no witnesses for the for the mogul balloon. Not All right, zero. Tom, I want to thank you ever so much for joining us. A great pleasure. I've got to tell you something, Tom. You are the best evidence that I've had for the Roswell case in a long time. Fantastic I was just job. Getting warmed up, Rob. Well, d- Tom, will you will you come back? <laughs> sure. Tom, take care of yourself. A great pleasure, and regards to your family. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Nice talking to you, sir. Bye. www.roswellinvestigator.com. We'll be back after this commercial break at six and a half minutes past here in the X Zone. 